Good morning again, everyone. It's good to see you here today. I know we've got a number of visitors, especially welcome to you. You're a real blessing to us through being here today, and uh, our prayer is that you will be blessed as well through sharing in this time with us today. Uh, for those of you that are visiting today, you may not know, but we have been doing a series over the summer uh, focusing on the parable of the lost son. And we've been looking at it over three parts, looking at it through the eyes of the younger son, through the eyes of the older son, and today we're going to be looking at it through the eyes of the father. In many ways, I think this is a mistitled parable. We often call it the prodigal son or the lost son, but actually I think a better title for it would be the loving father and the two lost sons. Uh, and we've been looking at that a little bit over the last couple of weeks, and we'll be expanding on that this morning. As we hear the reading again today, for those of you that have been around for the last couple of weeks, it's the same reading once again, it will be familiar. But as we hear it, I wonder if you can listen to it through imagining how it is for the Father. Uh, and then there are going to be things that we do in the sermon as we imagine what it was like for the father. Uh, and we're going to look at things as well. Um, some people have said about this, uh, this parable, well, where is the savior within this? And so it's one of the, um, one of the things that people, for example, who are uh, Muslims might point out to this. They believe that Jesus was a prophet. Uh, and so they would look at this parable and say, well, look, you've got a lost son and you've got the father. There's no savior in that. And so we're going to explore today where we do see the savior and where we see God come to live as one of us within the story. I hope you're ready for it. It's a great story to tell. It's really spoken to me as I've been thinking about it this week. And we're going to hear the story first. Suzanne is going to bring our reading to us. It's from Luke's Gospel, chapter 15. We're reading verses 11 to 32. It will appear on the screen behind me. Uh, it's also on page 1049 of the Church Bibles, if you want to follow there. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him 
and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. And everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Thank you, Suzanne. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you. Thank you for your word contained in scripture. Thank you for the way that it speaks to us and is relevant to us today. Thank you uh, for the way you speak into our lives and we pray that as we look at this passage this morning, we will hear your very voice speaking into our hearts and into our minds, that we might receive your love, your compassion, your encouragement, your challenge in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may need to be of a certain age, but I wonder if anyone can remember the end of this advertising slogan. Do you love anyone enough to give them your last Rolo? Very good. Do you love anyone enough to give them your last Rolo? Um, it was... Uh, an advertising campaign that ran for roughly, I think, about 20 years. Uh, and part of the message that they were trying to get across was that Rolos are so good, you don't want to share them, especially when it comes to your last one. Ironically, this has got nothing to do with what I want to say, but in 1995, um, there was criticism of Nestle because they took out the last roller as the packets went from 11 down to 10. So it seems that Nestle don't love everyone enough to give them their last rollo either. But they had a series of adverts about this, and we're going to watch one of them now. Nah, nah. <laughs> nah, nah. 
Do any of you remember that advert? Some of you do. Uh, it's a great advert, isn't it? And, and it speaks something into who we are sometimes as people. It, it makes us laugh because we like it when someone gets just what they deserve, don't we? You know, they get their just desserts, we might say. Uh, and that's what happens in that advert. But when we come to this story, the story of the loving father and the two lost sons, right at the heart of it is a different message. And it's that the two sons do not get what they deserve. We looked last week at the elder son and saw that what happened for him was that he saw the celebrations going on of his younger brother returning and he was angered by it. It wasn't fair that his younger son was being welcomed back, and he refused to go into the party. Now, refusing to go into the party was a great insult to the father. The people who heard this story would be expecting that at some point, the elder son would be summoned into the presence of the father and punished for his actions. But instead, the father goes out to the son. And then there's the younger son as well. And today I want to tell you a little bit about a ceremony that may well have been in the minds of the people who heard Jesus telling this story. It's called the Kazaza ceremony. The Kazaza ceremony. Uh, and the Kazaza ceremony was for somebody who was in uh, the community who decided to leave the home of his family and to leave the village and to go and live amongst the Gentiles. Now, if they went there and they lost the money that they had and they returned, they would be met with the Kazaza ceremony. What would happen is this, as you got to the village, there would be people from there who would take a pot and they would smash the pot in front of you. And what they would then say is, they would say your name and say, just as this pot is smashed, you are in as many pieces our relationship and you can no longer be part of village life. You can no longer be part of our community. You are away from us. We will not forgive you and have you back. Uh, and then they would refuse to speak normally to that person who returned. They would perhaps shout insults and abuse at them. The Kazaza ceremony. And, and then if you wanted to go back to try and make amends with the father, what you would have to do is you would have to go and sit outside of the family home. And you would be left there for some time, probably receiving the taunts, the insults of the people who went past. And then after a period of time, you would be summoned into the father's presence. And there in his presence, he would be angry with you and that you could then beg for mercy about really the opportunity to be a hired hand or to be trained, as was most likely the case, in a different village. The idea was you still would not be restored to that village. You would have to go to the next village to receive your training. That's the ceremony that was expected when the younger son was returning. That's probably what was going through the minds of the people who were listening to the story. This is what's going to happen to the younger son. But it doesn't. He does not get what he deserves. 
Instead, he is met by a father who is full of compassion. The father comes to him. He sees him from a distance, and he has compassion on his son. The word that is used here is splanknon, splanknon, which refers to a, a kind of compassion that is from within. You know when you get those feelings that are so strong, you can physically feel them. That's the kind of compassion that the father has at this particular moment. Why? Because he sees the son and he knows the ceremony that is deserved for his son. And he doesn't want him to have to go through that rejection. And so what does he do? Rather than waiting for the son to go through the ceremony, rather than waiting for the son to come outside of the family home, before he knows that his son is repenting, is sorry for what he has done, he rushes out, he runs, he races out. The Greek really is about, he races out towards his son. That means he would have had to gather up his robes and, and run uh, to bring them above his knees as he was running and racing towards them. This was a sign of great humiliation for what you're doing. Because the father is supposed to wait for the son to come to him. And the father, even if he was going out, which he shouldn't do, should walk uh, elegantly at a suitable pace. He shouldn't run. And so we have a father here who is running out into the village to meet his son. The eyes of the people in the village are taken away from the son who is returning to the strange sight of seeing the father running. What on earth is going on? We understand that the son is returning, that he's made a mess of things, but why is the father running towards him? We don't get it. It's not for the father to run towards him. It's for the son to come in complete and utter humiliation. But the father who has compassion and great love goes towards the son. What a beautiful picture that is. Uh, and actually, as we look at this, this is where we begin to see the gospel message coming through. Because the gospel is about a father who loves the world and leaves his heavenly home to come in the form of Jesus. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I and my father are one. And we see that in this story as the father leaves his home to go towards the undeserving son. So the father in heaven through Jesus comes into the world to the undeserving children of God to draw them back into his presence because he has compassion and he is full of love. He takes on himself the humiliation that the son deserves. He takes on himself the scorn of others. And that's what happens on the cross. If we see the cross not primarily in terms of the physical torture, but in the pain of rejected love, seeking to take the pain for yourself, in order to draw the loved one back into that relationship. There we have the story of the gospel contained within the story of the loving father and the two lost sons. Uh, and I found as I was reflecting on this and as I was reading around this and this picture came of what's going on, what an amazing picture it is. And for me, a fresh way of looking at this story and a fresh understanding of just how amazing God's love is for us.
And I hope that picture, that image, blesses you as well of the loving Father who runs towards us, not to give us what we deserve, but to meet us with love and with compassion. Uh, and what I want to do in the time that we have this morning with that picture in mind is to think a little bit more about what it's like to be the Father. This is a picture um, that uh, I came across. Lonely Planet, who produced travel guides, have published and ranked a list of the top 500 experiences in Great Britain. And um, some of them include uh, going and exploring the Pembrokeshire coast, going to Stonehenge, visiting the Tate Gallery, and walking along Hadrian's Wall. Um, the top three, I've got pictures to show you the top three. Uh, this one, some of you may recognize it, the Giant's Causeway in Northern Ireland. So visiting there and walking across these giant stones, that's one of the great experiences in third place. I in second place, there we go, is a picture of the British Museum in London and visiting the British Museum, one of the great experiences. Uh, and the first place experience that they said on this list, uh, you may not get it from that picture, but it's actually going to the Edinburgh Fringe, the top experiences. Uh, and as I saw those, and um, it, it was around the time that I was uh, preparing the sermon, I was thinking, great experiences to have as we begin to put ourselves in the mind of the Father and saying, what's it like to be the Father? That is not a great experience at all. You see, being the Father can be a very painful thing. Uh, and so what I want to do is we're going to look at what it means to identify with the Father. And the first thing is this, to identify with the Father is to experience rejection. Right at the heart of this story is the rejection that the father experiences. From the younger son who says, I'm going to leave, I'm going to go away. A broken relationship at this moment, the father never knows whether the son is going to return. It's to be rejected. Even with the son who stays behind, the elder son who stays there, what happens is there is a rejection. Because when he is celebrating, the, son, the elder son refuses to come in. He's angry at his father. There's rejection there for the father, the pain of rejection. And it may be there are people here today who know the pain of rejection. Perhaps it's through a husband or a wife, a boyfriend or a girlfriend. Maybe it's through a friendship that you thought was really special and then has been broken off all too easily. Maybe it's rejection in the workplace from work colleagues or from the place where you thought you were well respected and suddenly you're treated very differently. Maybe it's through redundancy and that sense of rejection that can come at that particular moment. There can be many ways in which we experience rejection. And when we are rejected, where we go through that pain, perhaps of some small comfort to us, can be the fact that actually God, our Father, knows what it is like to be rejected. He truly understands. To be identifying with the Father also means that 
we can identify perhaps with criticism. Look at what happens as the elder son comes out, as the party is going on. The older son is angry, and he says, Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. The criticism of the elder son to his father. And actually, for some of us, identifying with the Father comes about because we know the pain of criticism when it is given to us. And it may seem to us at times like it is totally unfair criticism, but it doesn't hurt any the less for that. In fact, that can sometimes hurt even more. Sometimes it's those people we love who criticize us the most. Criticism can be so painful to experience. And perhaps some of you are here today. And when we say the word criticism, you can feel the pain inside of you. May it be some small comfort to you to know that when you feel the pain of criticism, there is one who understands. Because our Father knows what it is like to receive criticism. The whole of this parable is told because Jesus is receiving criticism for sitting down and eating with those who were considered to be sinners. Criticism comes and it's painful. And as I was looking at this and seeing the welcome the younger son gets as he returns, the younger son who is probably feeling really worried about the future, worried about what is going to happen, what happens as the father runs to him, the father comes, runs to him, throws his arms around him, and kisses him. Uh, and I just wonder if there's anyone here today who perhaps because of rejection, perhaps because of criticism, feels really low about themselves. And yes, we can know that our father understands, but I suspect that what the father wants to do is even more for us today. He wants to run towards us, put his arms around us, and kiss us, and tell us that he loves us and cares about us, and we mean more to him than anything else and anyone else we can ever imagine. Maybe you're here today, and what God wants to do to you is just hug you close to him and to have that feeling that everything is going to be okay. You know what? Uh, I was reading somewhere that for a hug to have a therapeutic effect on us, it needs to be 20 seconds or longer. I believe God really wants to hug us not for 20 seconds, but for as long as we need for his love and his compassion to be felt by us. Do you need to feel his loving compassion this morning? That's what he wants to bring to you and to me. That's what it means to identify with the Father. I want to also just share a couple of challenges as well. As we do, let me show you a picture first of all. This is... Um, uh, an art teacher at a school, apparently, um, who was concerned with the number of children who were running along the corridor. And he decided to do something about it. Uh, and he painted the floor to look 
like this in the hope that it would stop them running. I wonder if it's the sort of thing that would work once, but maybe not in the future. The idea of trying to get people to view things differently. Uh, and I think actually it's right to finish looking at this parable that we've been looking at over three weeks by reminding ourselves that actually what Jesus is doing is he's trying to challenge the way that people view things. He, he's trying to challenge the Pharisees and the teachers of the law in how they see what Jesus is doing in eating and meeting with those who were considered sinners. He wants them to see things differently so it changes the way that they behave. And there are a couple of things that I want to say around that as we draw our series to our close. This is the first thing about seeking reconciliation. You see, that's at the heart of what the Father does. He seeks reconciliation. And he does it amazingly because not only does he hug, not only does he kiss his son as he comes, he goes on to say this. He calls the servants and says, quick, there's no time to lose here. What I want you to do is to bring the best robe. The best robe would have been one of his own and put it on him. I want you to clothe him in what I will wear. He says, put a ring on his finger, a, a ring that was used to seal a place, a seal an agreement. In giving a ring, he's sealing the place of the son back in the family. To put sandals on his feet, it was the servants or slaves who would be barefooted. Sons wore sandals. Uh, and so he is reconciling his son into the family once again. He's making it very clear. He's not on the outside. He's on the inside. He's not a servant. He's not a slave. He is my child. And all this before he has checked out that the son is truly sorry. That's amazing, isn't it? You know, some of us, we might say, well, if somebody shows themselves over a period of time to be really sorry, I might forgive them. I might allow them back into the place that they were, not with the Father. He welcomes them straight away and restores him immediately. His aim is not to worry about how this will be viewed by others. He doesn't worry about what the people in the village think when he's running along. He just wants, through his love and his compassion, to restore people, to restore his son to that place in his family. You see, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law who were criticizing Jesus didn't want him associating with those that they considered were sinners. Uh, and before we're too hard on them, let me tell you some of the reason why they were doing this. It's because they were very concerned that God's law was kept properly. They look back in the history of the Old Testament. They look back in the history of the people and they saw things go wrong when disobedience happened. They saw things go wrong when there was rejection. And so what they wanted to do was ensure that everyone was as good as possible before God because they didn't want to be rejected by God. They had good reason for what they were doing. Uh, and they were worried that what would happen is, if you start welcoming these sinners, these people who aren't living the right way of life, won't it influence everyone else to think, it's okay for me to live like that as well? 
You know, the whole ceremony that I was talking about, the Kazaza ceremony, is there because it was designed to be so off-putting that people wouldn't go away. Now, if the father doesn't allow that ceremony to come out, is he watering things down and saying, anything goes? Is he saying that actually, well, somebody else might go off because actually they've seen the welcome that the father gives. So it's no, it's no discouragement for them to go and do the same. But the father's not worried about that. He wants to embrace his child. He wants to embrace his son, draw him back into the family, because what he wants most of all is seeking reconciliation. You see, God is not first and foremost about do we behave properly. God is first and foremost about do we love him and understand his love for us. That doesn't mean to say that how we live isn't important. He's not like some elderly grandparent who who, who will just allow your child, that child, to do anything and run wild. It's not about saying anything goes because actually when you're in a loving relationship, you want to please the father, but it's a totally different thing. It's not a headmaster to a child relationship. This is a loving father to a son relationship. And that's what he wants for us. And the challenge for us is how do we view people when they have perhaps completely different lifestyles but come in amongst us? What happens when they don't behave as we expect people to behave? Are we still going to welcome them? Are we still going to show them love and compassion as they come in? to that place. That's not to say that everything that happens is absolutely all right, but actually through experiencing love, they're in the place where they experience the love of the Father, who is the one through the power of the Holy Spirit who challenges people to change. And so one of the challenges that I see in this passage for me is how do we cope with people who don't live the lifestyle that we expect somebody to live? How do we cope with people for whom their lifestyle might be different from what we say the Christian lifestyle should be. It's still showing the love and the compassion of a father. Seeking reconciliation, drawing people in, and allowing the Lord to challenge and the Lord to change. Uh, And finally, I wanted to finish with this, this idea of compassion for the lost. When we see the parable, I mentioned it um, uh, last week, I think it was. We don't get a, a full ending to this story because it's the father saying to the elder son, my son, you are always with me and I have everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. There's no reaction to the what the brother says after that because it's to be left as a question in their minds of the people who are hearing. What's your response? Is your response to seeing people who are dead and alive again, who were lost and now found, is it the same as the father? You see, the father has great compassion. He takes it on himself to go out and reach out to his younger son and his elder son. And the question that I just want to finish with, really, in this series, is something where we have been looking and reflecting on as a church, and something we're looking to grow on and grow in as well, the heart for those who don't know the Lord, the heart of our heart for those who haven't found Jesus. How great is our compassion? Is it as compassionate as the loving Father? 
Maybe we need to grow in it. And in September, we're going to be doing another series. It's going to be a different series. It's called Mission Impossible with the M crossed out. Mission Possible. Uh, and what we're going to do is we're going to spend some weeks with, we've got a number of people who are missionaries within the church who are reaching out. And so different people are going to speak into different parts of these series. So we've got Emma, and a number of you will know Emma, who is looking at what God's call is on her life and working out where in Indonesia she thinks that God is calling her to reach out to those people who've never heard the message of Jesus. We've got David Adams who's going to be going away this week and is going to come back and share us. He, he's work with those groups who have never heard about Jesus. We've got Paolo amongst us, uh, Paolo and Claudia, who are missionaries who have come to this country. We've got Steve Gaskin, who has got a real heart for mission and has been out on a number of short-term projects. So different people are going to give different voices into this series to help us hopefully grow in our love for those who don't know the Lord, those who've never heard the message of Jesus, and equipping us to think, what can we do about it? But for that to make a difference, it starts with this. Do we have the Father's compassion for those who don't know him? Or are we comfortable enough with the fact that we do and we can enjoy the benefits of our faith? You see, it's great that we have the relationship with God. He wants to bless us in so many ways. But we need the Father's compassion and his heart to say it's not just about those of us who are here gathered together on a Sunday. It's about people who are out there in our community, and indeed throughout the world, that we can share the love of Jesus who changes lives forever. May God give us that heart of compassion and a growing heart of compassion for him. Amen. <laughs>